Um, I did the Anthem, not the Anthem Summit, which I also did, but the Anthem Retreat, Elders Retreat with, and in Santa Paula. And when I arrived there, I did not recognize Greg and Kathleen because of that silly keto thing. So the next day I started keto, the next, very next day. So he's helped shape me. He's also had caused me to spend money because I've had to change my wardrobe. But um, it's a good thing. It's nice to be here. I actually love coming to Anthem. It feels like home, um, all three of them. And, I, it's so, it's, and But it's always a privilege. You never want to take these times just for granted. Um, it is a privilege that people would come out on a long weekend in the summer while the World Cup soccer was on. And or maybe you guys watched it. You came to the second meeting. And, um, <clears throat> and actually listen. So I hope that today you have your listening hats on. Because today's a is a difficult text, to be quite honest. Um, uh, I think it was Matt who said he's so grateful that we, you go through the text, that you're going through a whole book, you're not proof texting, so we get to this text and we have to unpack it a little bit. It's a really difficult text. Um, so let me pray. Father, be with us this morning. Fill the atmosphere. Fill our hearts, fill our minds with your presence that we might hear, learn to be discerning, uh, but mostly that we would draw closer to you and become more and more like you in how we think and act and do our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read the text and then say a few things. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. I think you've covered that, but it's good context into the rest. Now, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the overriding text that we need to remember. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. It's a really important context as we go in. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the, the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Who knows what that means? Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a grace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it's her glory, for her hair is given to her for her covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God, and nobody knows what on earth that text is. Because we don't. It's kind of mystery. Um, and this text has created a lot of discussion over the centuries. Um, and 
cause a lot of confusion around gender roles, etc. And we can approach it two ways. The one way is we can look at it from a very sort of conservative old way, which is we impose upon this that it's uh, a traditional held value that men are here and women are here underneath. That's one way of looking at this text. The other would be to let's shun this. We will just impose culture upon us. We're a modern, postmodern people. Let's do away with the text and whatever. But actually, as followers of Jesus, who and we've been given the scriptures, we actually have to do the work to say, what does this text say? Um, and so I want us to approach this in deep humility because there's a lot of confusion in this text. And at the end, we will still be confused, honestly. But we still want to address it. Um, so there are two ways to look at a text. The one is what we know as exegesis. Have you ever heard that word? It's a good theology. Exegesis. We take the text, you delve in, and you understand, and you let it speak to you from the text. What does it mean? What is the Greek? What is the Hebrew? And then there's eisegesis, is when you impose your value upon the text and make it say what you want it to say. Now, we want to do exegesis. We want the text to speak to us into our culture, out of its culture, so that we can truly get what we were trying to say. The problem is that this was written in the first century, which is 2,000 years ago, written to a totally different culture, actually multiple cultures in one city, and written in a language that no one speaks today. Because there are Greeks today, but they don't speak this Greek. They speak a different Greek. So it's written in confusing ways, and we are English, and English does not translate well out of Greek. So there's a huge amount of misunderstanding and confusion as it comes to this. Now, some texts in the Bible are pretty easy because there's, it's almost correlation, but this one is not one of them. This is most probably one of the most contentious portions of Scripture in the Bible. But because Anthem decided to do 1 Corinthians, we actually have to look at it. Um, yeah. And I thank you, Kevin, for always giving me these wonderful texts. Um, I think the important thing to understand as we start this is that Paul is addressing the church that's gathered. This is about the gathering of God's people together. We have to keep that in the context because then it, I think it begins to make a little bit of sense. Um, if you try and just make it about you personally, it can go a little bit screwball. Um, so this talk is done in collaboration with Bert Matt. We've done it together. These notes are, are an amalgamation of Matt, Bert, and a bit of mine. This morning at 5.30, we were texting each other because none of us, we're all, oh, we don't know. But we're all on the same page that we don't know. And some of the things that we do know, we're actually on the same page. So as I speak today as someone who's not a leader in Anthem, I want you to know that the leaders are in agreement to the things that we're going to say today. So I'm predominantly working off some of their notes with a few of my things thrown in. Is that all right? I've read 12 commentaries in preparation for this talk. Liberal, conservative, old, modern, and there's kind of no agreement, or very little. I've read two books, I've listened to I don't know how many podcasts, read I don't know how many articles, and at the end I was more confused than when I started. So all I'm trying to say is that we have to come to this text with humility, with a sense of learning, a sense of God, teach me, show me, maybe change some of my preconceptions about the text. Is that okay? There's some things where it says love one another, it's kind of easy. Actually, not that easy, but because love can have five different meanings. Um, so here we go. 
Um, but let's just be humble. Let's just be teachable. Let's just love one another. Make sure that Jesus stays the focus of what we're doing so that we don't just kind of get caught up. I disagree with that. I agree with that. As I said to the, the first congregation, if at the end you think I've spoken the biggest load of rubbish and I'm a heretic and everything, just let me go in peace. Do not stone me. Okay? Please. So I think it's also important as we read this text, we read it, the context is one, this is a gathering of believers. The second one is that it's missional. Paul writes before that, he talks about uh, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God that's meaning. So it's, it's trying to cover culture and it says that some might be saved. So we've got to remember it's also a missional text, which is really, really important for us, specifically for today as we interact with our world. So should we get on with it? Here we go. There are some things about this text, at least five things, that I think are pretty clear. If you at least spend some time with the text, read it, and these things pop out, and I'm going to give them to you. One, there were women who were leading public ministry in the New Testament church. Because they were prophesying and praying. And if we get to chapter 14, which you'll get to in a number of weeks, you will see that prophesying is a very high gift within the church of Jesus. And here, women were prophesying and praying publicly. So Paul is allowing women to lead in ministry in the New Testament church. Okay, don't, don't, don't let me lose you just yet. Number two, there was an equality of men and women in the worshiping community. Not necessarily in the culture, but in, in the culture, women were just above slaves. Which is kind of harsh, don't you think? We think today, oh, what? but that's 2,000 years ago. But the, Jesus comes and brings this great liberty to women, this great freedom, this great saying, no, you are valuable. And Paul keeps doing that. And so he's, saying to, he's not saying you shouldn't prophesy praise. And when you do this, just make sure something's in place. Thirdly, Paul is fighting for gender distinction as opposed to gender neutralization. He's not saying everybody's the same. There's a difference between men and women. Is that all right? There's a big, we look different. Everything's different. So let's enjoy that. Let's celebrate that. Not, let's not like, ah, oh, we're all the same. No, we're not. We are different. We're equal, but different. So keep that in the back of your mind. The other thing that comes out of this is Paul is very concerned that Jesus, God, gets the glory, not us. In the gathering. Remember the context is the gathering. We want God to get the glory, not us. And thirdly, do nothing to cause another to stumble from their worship of Jesus or someone coming in who might get saved. So I think those are five things that have come out of the text that are pretty clear. Um, the most glaring problem with this text historically is that it's been used to suppress women. And this text has nothing absolutely zero to do with the authority of men over women. But yet it is one of the major texts to do that. Is that okay? So breathe again. Don't. Um, we don't want to misuse the text. We want the text to do work. Pro part of the problem of, is that in translations and over the years, as most of the translators were men, or all translators were men basically until lately, 
And we, everybody superimposes certain things when they're not sure upon the text. And we'll see that in a moment as we go through one or two specifics. Um, so there are interpretive difficulties in this text. Great interpretive difficulties that we, I'm not sure we even at this stage can figure out, but we're going to try. So we're going to look at a few, a few of them. The first one is the word gyne, which is the Greek word for woman, can also be used for wife. That's where you get the word gynecology, you know, doctors for women. So that's where that word comes from, gyne meaning woman. It's used 16 times in this text. And there's not many verses where that word is used 16 times. Five times it's translated wife, and 11 times it's translated woman. Can you see there's a difficulty? Because you have to choose which one. They, the, the, the translators have to say, which one are we going to use? And they decided this is woman and that is wife, but it all, doesn't always necessarily make sense. And at the end, we're still not sure. Is it, are they all supposed to be wife? Or are they all supposed to be woman? The, the translation of the word. Or sh we don't know. Because we have no idea. We don't really know what Paul was trying to say. We can get inklings of what he was trying to say. But we don't really know. So love has five different meanings in the New Testament. The Greek words, we translated one. Same, same idea that we've got here. So let's just keep that in mind when we read the text. The second one is the word kafali, which means head. Now that too is a problem word because it has three meanings, at least three. One is it's your head, this thing on top of your shoulders. It can also mean authority. It can also mean source, like the, river, the head of a river, the source of a river. It can mean all three of those things. So that depending on the way you interpret, we'll actually direct this text. So now which one do we use? Ah, well, I was saying earlier, this is a Zulu word. This is Angas. I don't know. don't know. But we have to deal with it. And we have to do the best we can. My personal feeling, and, and as Matt and as Bert, is that the word kafali here more, is more used in the word source. That it's a source rather than authority. But... The third one is in verse, I think, 10, where it says, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. What on earth does that mean? Um, he throws, Paul throws this comment in like we should all know what it means, and nobody does. You can guess, but nobody really knows. And for today, I'm not going to address that one. Is that okay? Because I think it's a minor in terms of the major part of the text, and we, we only got a limited amount of time. So if I can leave that one... Um, I'm not trying to evade it, I'm just saying. Fourth one is head coverings. What on earth is head coverings? Because it's male and female. Traditionally, it's all been focused on the woman, but actually this deals with both. So what does that mean? What is the symbolism in the first century? We got some ideas. We, we don't really know. Um, I think there's a consensus that it kind of, the female head covering had to do with someone who was married or someone who was celebrating chastity. And if you didn't wear a head covering, it was a sign that you were a prostitute or you were a loose woman. You know? Same as shaving your head, etc., etc. Um, so it was basically saying, if you didn't wear a head covering, you say, I'm available. If you wore a head covering, I'm not available. We think. It's not definite. Um, 
All this to say that we mustn't make majors out of things we're not 100% sure of. Um, and when it comes to the men and their head coverings, we think it means long hair, but a little bit it says there, but it, in all its interpretation, it's kind of all over the place. So if you have long hair and you're a man and you preach, then you're dishonoring, uh, I don't know. This is the one thing we can say. If we're talking about the church gathering and it's missional, then we understand that in that culture, women wore head coverings. If you didn't, you were loose woman. If you were to go to Saudi Arabia as a missionary woman, do you think you'd wear a head covering? Yeah. Why? Because otherwise you'd lose the audience before you even start. Because it's cultural. Is it cultural for us in the United States? No. So do any of you have to wear head coverings to church? Would it be appropriate if the woman wore bikinis to church? No, but can you wear a bikini on the beach? <laughs> if you feel appropriate, you feel your body's good, would you wear a bikini? But the, yes, we can. But you wouldn't do that in church. And we'll come to a reason why in a moment. Um, in China last week, they passed a law in Beijing that men cannot walk around without shirts on. We can walk around without shirts, yeah? Can we? But if you went to China, you'd have to put a shirt on. Cultural. Now we have to try and read back into 2,000 years ago and extrapolate into the future. It becomes really, really confusing. Um, and the other thing to understand, as archaeologists have done more digging and have discovered things in the area of Corinth and, and Ephesus, the big cities, they, were, they noticed from paintings and, and pottery shards and all that, that there was this tendency towards androgyny where men were starting to dress like women and women were starting to dress like men. So if that be true, we're not 100%, but if that be true, then Paul is saying, no, I want you to celebrate that you're a woman and that you're a man. That's the way God made you celebrate it. So that, that's in play, but we're not 100% sure. The fifth one is this issue in verse 10 where it says, that is a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Well, the word symbol is not in the Greek. It's an added word by the translators trying to make sense of the text. If you just take the text as it is, it says, that is why a woman ought to have authority on her head. The word symbol is not in the Greek. So, creates its own questions. Are you picking up some confusion here? It's really hard. Doesn't mean we shouldn't do the work. Doesn't mean we aren't meant to try and understand but we have to be really careful that we don't just superimpose what we think upon it, our culture, our past, our heritage, our belief upon the text and make it say what it's not necessarily saying. But what is it saying? Let's focus on those things. So let's do a little exegesis on the text. Are, we, are you all with me? Anyone lost? I hope not. We know that he's talking about the church gathering, so that's an important thing. Because we see as we go into the next chapters, there's the, the, the next bit is about communion, then it's about the gifts and how they operate in church. So there's four chapters where he's dealing with the gathering of the church, which means gathering of the church is really important, just as a sideline. So let's read it. The head of every man or person is Christ. The head of every woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Now that creates confusion if we, the word kafali and the, and the, the word gani for woman. 
How do we interpret those? It can create um, some real confusion. So let's read it. Jesus is the authority over humanity. Man, husband, is the authority over wife, woman. God is the authority over Christ. Does that work? Kinda, but not fully. Let's read it another way. Jesus is the source of humanity. Husband, man is the source of wife, woman. God is the source of Christ. Does that work? Kinda. Oh, not sure. Our feeling is leaning to source. That God is the source of man. That man is the source of woman. You know the creation story? But we're not guaranteed. And, and Paul likes to play with words. Um, and he says things in a way that everybody should understand in their culture, but we don't know in our culture. Um, it's challenging for translators. Very, very challenging. All I want to ask you is if you disagree with everything that we say and I say today, and it's possible, and it's okay, that look at, look at the text from this side and look at it and don't superimpose. Work hard not to try to treat this as a proof text for male authority. I'm not making a comment on male authority at this point in time, is it or isn't it? All I'm saying is that this text doesn't deal with that. Is that okay? I want you to think through that. It's really, really important. Then he says, every man who prays or prophesied with his head covered dishonors his head. What does that mean? What does it mean for a man to have his head covered? Now, many commentators think it has to do with the length of a man's hair and the way that he would treat it. Um, and they say it's a possibility that through that, men were using it to seduce women. They made themselves look. But when you come into the church, don't do that. Because we want to focus on Jesus. Do nothing to distract somebody. Um, and it makes sense if, we, if it goes through, and we look at the next section, which is about women, where it's, we're dealing from the woman's side. But it is still a little confusing, because you're not, not 100% sure. But every woman or wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a woman or wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a woman or wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Like, what? Do you feel like that when you read it? What? I think this is one of those areas where the, the woman-wife distinction is, comes clear. I personally think that in this text, the, Paul is talking about all women, not just wives. He's talking about all women in this context because he was talking about all men in the previous context. Um, <clears throat> and and my, my reason for saying that is nowhere does it say that a single woman cannot prophesy or pray. As it never says a single man cannot prophesy or pray. He just says when a man, when a woman you got to do it in an appropriate way when you do it. It doesn't distinct. So I think he's talking about all women. Am I 100% sure? No. 
but I think it leans that way. I think uh, Paul is trying to say that when a woman gets up to pray or prophesy, as with a man, publicly, and her head is uncovered, and she's in the, the gathering of believers, it means people are looking. It's possible because in that culture, a woman was a, you know, a woman's hair was the thing that was like, ooh. In some Arab countries, it's when you see a woman's ankle. What's it in our culture? So have your hair covered so that nobody's focusing on you. They're focusing on the word that you are bringing from Jesus that brings glory to Jesus. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry that it's a little confusing. It's also interesting that Paul is asking all women to cover their heads, which would have included ex-prostitutes, single women, because there's a dignity that comes to women in the church of Jesus that was not necessarily outside. So in the world, there might have been some women that could not wear head coverings because of what they were or what they had done. But when they come in the church, it gives dignity. It says, no, cover your head. We think that is, oh, he's trying to restrain women. No, he's actually given them dignity in terms of their culture. It's really important in seeing that. Um, so... Taking both those texts, I think there's the sense of Paul saying, when you come together, do everything in your power to make sure Jesus is the focus and not you. Do you ever go on Instagram and look at some of the famous leaders that are just showing off their clothes and their $10,000 sneakers? And kind of make, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. For a man ought to not cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Be careful that we don't see that Paul is in any way trying to reinterpret the Genesis, the creation story from Genesis 1 and 2, which is a beautiful thing. But I think what Paul is basically saying is you need to celebrate who you are in Jesus, in God's people. If you're a woman, be a woman. If you're a man, be a man. And I don't mean that in the light of, oh, man, not that sort of man. Just you're a man. You, you have characteristics that make you a man and the way that you interact with God. As a woman, there are characteristics that make you a woman, how you interact with. Let those be appropriate in the way that you worship. Don't try to be the, the opposite. Don't try, we are distinctly. You know, woman was created from man, from the side. They were meant to be a complement together, together to be the image and likeness of God. Not just the man. Together they were the image. Together they were to rule and reign on the earth. I was saying to the earlier, it wasn't that the man was called to rule and reign and the lady was supposed to be following behind. Ooh, ooh, can I make you lunch? No, together... As a partnership, as a complement to each other, they were together to rule and reign. Things go screwy in chapter 3 of the fall of Genesis. All right? So what, he's, what, what Paul is saying here is that celebrate your difference, but do celebrate God even more. Um, enjoy the differences, that we're not all the same. There's something that's beautiful when I'm with my wife 
she relates to Jesus differently than I relate to Jesus. And if I don't have the way that she relates to Jesus, I've got just a limited view and vice versa. And then when you get in the congregation, everyone else is different as well through their gifts and, and cultures. We celebrate together. It's a beautiful thing that, that Jesus made it all. Um, so that is why a woman wife ought to have authority over or on her head because of the angels. Uh, no word for symbol in the Bible, as we've said. I'm not going to touch the angels. Um, but I think what Paul is saying here, especially if you understand the context, that in Corinth, like in Ephesus, which were predominantly, all, I mean, all of Roman Greco culture was male-dominated 2,000 years ago. It was male-dominated culture. But in these certain centers, you started having these female cults being de developed, the cult of Isis, in, in Ephesus, so you suddenly had a rising up of women priests, etc., etc. They were starting to to come, and then they would say, "We are now equal to men in the culture." I'm not making it what in the church, and we can flaunt our liberty as women. And Paul is saying, "No, when you come into the church, nobody can flaunt their liberty. When you come into the church, we sub subject who we are so that Jesus gets made much of." Same with men. When we come in as men into the church and we like, Tarzan, we make much of ourselves, not much of Jesus. And we want to make much of Jesus. Uh, it's really, I think, an important thing. So, women, you are free. But when you come together, don't use that freedom to seduce men in the way that you dress or whatever. In those days, it was head coverings. It seems. Men, you are free, but don't use your freedom to seduce women. Don't come into church with no shirt on and that eight pack. As I said, and I've got a barrel. You know, because that's distracting. We don't do that because we want to make much of Jesus. So, what is it that we do that we know can do those things? Um, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as man was ma woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. All things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, this is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Even though we are free, and even though we are male or female, we are also interdependent upon each other. The church is a group of people who are interdependent upon one another. Women are not free to make decisions apart from their relationship to men, and men are not free to make decisions apart from their relationship to women. I'm a man, I can do what I like, when I like, how I like. Nope. Not true. We take into consideration who's among us, the weaker brethren. We're not going to cause anything to cause someone to stumble. Um, in the church, we have different cultures. I don't know, how many cultures do you think are represented in Anthem Camarilla? 
Any idea? I don't know. I'm asking you. Is there, is there Hispanic culture in? Okay. Is there any European culture? Any Native American culture? I don't know. Who knows what white American culture is? Because that's a conglomeration of a whole lot of things. What is the culture that is anthem? That is Christian religious culture that is anthem. Do you have a culture? Is, does that culture in any way restrict someone walking through the door? Is your culture clicky? That it takes a long time for a person to come in and feel welcome. I'm not saying those, I'm just asking those questions. We have to be aware of these things because we don't want to make it difficult for anybody to come to Jesus. We don't want to make it difficult for anybody to come and worship Jesus and to find Jesus, etc., etc. So we have this incredible freedom. As Americans, we have incredible freedom. Would you say that? The land of the free. Can I humbly make a thing that we are not the land of the brave? Would that be offensive? Because brave people know how to limit their freedom. How many of you have been overseas, been to another country? It's a good proportion. Have you interacted with people from other countries? I don't know if you like me, I come from another country, but I've also traveled to a lot of countries, that most of the world thinks Americans are arrogant. They kind of like Americans, they kind of like some of the things, but in the essence, they think we're arrogant, loud-mouthed people. When you're in your own culture, you don't recognize that because we're all loud and arrogant. <laughs> but when you get outside of your culture, then people, what? Is our American culture hindering sometimes what God wants to do? I don't know. I'm just asking those questions because this is what the text, what comes out of the text is how we interact. I'm American. I, I identify more as American than I do as South African. I just want you to know that. I've been here a long time now. This is my home. But in that, I realize I, I bring another culture into it, which is actually what makes America so wonderful. We all brought our cultures in. It's made this beautiful thing. Anyway. Um, gospel conclusion. This, I'm leaving stuff out just for time. I think in essence, in Christ, there's no value hierarchy between men and women. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Interesting they use the word sons, but then it goes on to talk about men and women. Thank you. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Galatians chapter 3. In Christ, we this, there's an equality, but we know there's a difference. Equality doesn't mean we're all the same. We celebrate those differences. While there is no value hierarchy, the Jewishness or Gentileness or slaves or free, male or female, do come culturally loaded into our gatherings. And we need to be aware of those things. Um, 
And we have to learn, and I've said this and I'm going to say it again because I think it's really key to this text, that we have to learn how to self-limit our freedom so that by any means people will find Jesus. Self-limit. There's a wonderful verse, like I can't remember the exact where it says, the grace of God teaches, it's at least in the NIV it says this, the grace of God teaches us to say no. If your freedom does not allow you to limit yourself or say no, then you are bound by your freedom. Freedom teaches us to say no. Freedom teaches us to limit ourselves so that we can, for the sake of others. Um, uh, I didn't say this before, but you know, you you have children, and you have certain cultural rules or whatever for your children in your house. Do you teach your children that when you go to someone's house, they might have different cultural rules? So in our house... Our kids could not jump on the sofa. When other kids come to my house and they want to jump on the sofa, I've got two things. I want to be so culturally, so they will accept that they must jump on my my couch, or I want to say, no, 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 you must teach your kids to actually respect what other people are about. Or do we just say, no, no, my kids are free. They can do what they like when they like. Do you see how it plays out? We've got to think through those things. You know, you go, your kids go stay at a friend's house, and that house, the, 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 those kids do the washing the dishes, and they do the laundry. Your kids never do anything, so they look like slobs. And you've got to teach them those things. Why? Because you're teaching people cultural, or that we, we have to work with other people. So it, it plays out in all sorts of ways. It's very, very interesting. Um, don't do anything. Try your best not to do anything that will hinder another person from worshiping or finding Jesus. Don't do anything that causes a brother or a sister to stumble. Um, I drink alcohol. And at our church gatherings, we drink alcohol. But we have a, we have a, a man in our church who's, this alcoholic's been clean for 10 years. And if there's alcohol, people go and say, how are you? Are you okay? Yep. The moment something's wrong, people, we need to stop. If we can't, we're legalists. Now, there are times we must say, no alcohol. No alcohol. It's not appropriate. We've got some people come in and we're not sure. No alcohol until we know. Whatever. That's just an example. Um... I'm not making the choice that you must drink alcohol. Please hear that. <laughs> or shouldn't drink alcohol. I'm just saying we have to be sensitive. And whatever those things are. It's all right so far? I'm going to finish off. How many? I've got five minutes. I'm reading. This is, I think this is Bert's. I loved what he wrote, so I'm just going to read it. He said in this text, there are three far-reaching implications. Number one, men and women worshiping equality and distinction is glorifying to God. I read that again. Men and women worshiping inequality and distinction is glorifying to God. Gender distinctions are not wrong. They do not go against Paul's teachings about equality. Gender distinctions actually glorify God as the creator 
and enable us to fully carry the image of God. Meaning to reflect God the creator as his creations, we are to lean into his created intention. To be man and woman together in mutual interdependence is to be fully human in the truest sense. Men, part of how you give glory to God is by expressing your faith and worship as a man. Woman, part of how you give glory to God is by expressing your faith and worship as a woman. Let's celebrate that. Let's enjoy that. Let us rub off on one another and see God do amazing things. Number two, our posture when we gather is to do whatever we can to make sure that there is no distraction or stumbling block for our brothers, sisters, and the watching, unbelieving world. If someone were walking out of one of these little league baseball games into here, would they be so offended by something that they will never step foot here again? If they're offended by the gospel, that's one thing. But if they're offended by cultural, well, we need to look at those. Despite the potential seriousness of this problem, however, Paul is not ordering these women to change their wardrobe. He is appealing to them to choose their wardrobe in the light of the mission of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Our heart should be for others, not for ourselves. If we are clinging to our rights, chances are we are not in it to make much of Jesus, but to make much of ourselves. John 3, John the Baptist says, he must become greater, I must become less. If this mission is going to be successful, it is not going to happen by us flaunting our rights and being culturally insensitive. It's going to happen through faithfulness to Jesus, selflessness, and missional contextualization. Number three, when you gather for worship, make sure your appearance and conduct does not distract from Jesus. Is that helpful? So, as we look at this text, there's some things we can say, yep, we want to be missional, we want to, we want to worship together in our distinctiveness, we, we don't want to draw people's focus away from Jesus, etc. There's all this implied here. But some of the other stuff is we're not sure. So let's not make it sure when we're not sure, when the commentators are not sure. Is that fair enough? Now, some of you might have to change some of the things you've believed, or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know where any of you are at. But I ask you, I plead with you, I beg with you, when you do not use this text as a proof text for male authority over woman, because that's not what it's about. If it is, we're not sure that it is. But there are other things in there that are really, 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 really important. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Father, we thank you that you sent the Spirit that would help lead us and guide us into all truth. 
We are so grateful for the scriptures that teach us and help us to live the way you want us to live, that tell us about Jesus, tell us about your people, tell us a whole lot of things. But we acknowledge that it, the Bible is inspired, all, but there's some parts that we're not quite sure of. Would you help us? Would you help us to be humble? Would you help us to be teachable? Even for me, Lord, as I've given this message that you might show me things that I missed, all of those, would you help us? Would you help the leaders of Anthem community to also be wise with these things? Help us. We do know this, that you are an awesome God. We do know this, that you love us with an unbelievable love. We do know this, that you are wanting us, wanting to shape us to be your people, to be with Jesus, to act like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did. Help us, we pray.